0: This is the Real Estate Investing for Freedom podcast, where we bring on the experts to teach you the golden nuggets of real estate investing, so you can escape the rat race and start living life on your terms. Now, here's your host, Dalen Hazel.
1: Hello, and welcome back to another episode. I'm very glad you're here. Today, we talk with Matt Bronner about the 10,000-foot view of multifamily investing, what it looks like at a high level, and what you need to know when you're just getting started out. But before all that, here is today's golden nugget of the day. Today's golden nugget is, if you can't beat the price, beat the terms. Although offer price is the first thing sellers look at, it's not the only thing. Terms are very important, and oftentimes someone will choose your offer, even though it may be lower priced, but it's better terms. You can improve terms by using the seller's title company, reducing the inspection period, increasing your earnest money deposit, maybe having a sooner closing date and limiting appraisal and financing contingencies. You can use some or all of those strategies to make your offer more attractive if the offer price itself is a little bit lower. So with that said, let me introduce today's guest. Matt Bronner is the managing partner for Minnesota Capital Management, which maintains a $30 million portfolio covering 2,200 plus units. The portfolio includes properties in Minnesota, Nevada, Arkansas, and Tennessee. Matt and his partners own their own property management company, Northwood Servicing, which manages over 230 units across Minneapolis and St. Paul. Matt has been a real estate investor since 2011. He left a career as a professional fundraiser in 2018 to pursue real estate full-time. Matt and his wife and their three kids live in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So without further ado, here is Episode 8 of the Real Estate Investing for Freedom podcast. Welcome to the show, Matt. How are you doing?
0: I'm well. Thanks for having me on, Dalen.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you coming on as well. Uh, Matt, can you give a short introduction about yourself, why you chose real estate and what you're doing now?
0: Absolutely. My name's Matt Bronner. I live just outside the Twin Cities with my beautiful wife and three kids. Uh, so I spend a lot of my time. I tell people it's uh, find money, find deals, and write process docs on the professional side, and then I go home to love on my wife and chase around three kids under five and a half. So that tends to be where I spend my time these days. I got into real estate, frankly, because I was looking for friends. I, I moved to a city uh, and I joined an investing club. I was trying to meet more people. And there was a group of guys that said, Hey, uh, we think townhomes are really undervalued. So uh, we're going to go pool the money we have. It was all the money I had to my name at that point in time. Uh, I wrote a check for I, thought, I think I was like three, thousand dollars um to go buy one town home, and i thought it was a good deal but i was also really doing it because i'm like well i have no friends where i live so i'm going to try to meet other guys and if i can make some money along the way well then that's a good deal
1: yeah so you got into the townhome space that's that's a good way to start um so can you explain what a townhome is and why you started in single family and kind of how you transitioned to multi-family where you are today
0: Sure, so a townhome is a piece of property uh, where you will typically have a shared wall. Um, You oftentimes don't own the dirt underneath the improvement and it's in the legalese is called a common interest community. We know it more as an HOA. We liked it because you could amortize your risk. So we didn't have a lot of money when we got started. We got scared about replacing a roof or any major exterior expenses. And if you did your homework the right way, the HOA would have the reserve set aside for that. And because of the way that the financial crisis happened in 2008, 2009, and how these townhomes are financed, things dominoed quickly. And Communities, So you had townhomes that were selling for 50 cents on the dollar. And we weren't smart enough to be able to come with really sophisticated analyses. All we had at that time was just a gut feeling that, look, this three bedroom, two bath townhome that sold for 150,000 two years ago has to be worth more than 80,000. We think this is a good deal. And that was our whole focus. Like all we thought you could do was buy more townhomes. And 2016, somebody brought us our first real estate deal and it totally blew our minds. We had questions as to whether or not it was even legal, but then we got into it, learned more and more, learned uh, about the ability to mitigate risk, learned about the ability to control the valuation, learned how it operates on a fundamental level because we own our own management company. We don't do fee management. We manage our own stuff. And that just really excited us and, and deepened a commitment to multifamily real estate in particular. I, like to cite for folks that during the Great Recession, uh, single-family homes defaulted at a rate of 4%. Apartment buildings defaulted at a rate of 0.4%. So there was an order of magnitude lower. And we even saw this through COVID, um, despite what local politicians and national ones um, don't want to get into politics. But you know there was this definite movement of, hey, if you don't have your rent money, don't pay it. But people still prioritize the rent check, right? There's un, un, there's no question Um in the debate that rental uh, multifamily real estate uh, held up well and that we were able to, to weather the storm there. And so it's proven itself out on multiple levels.
1: Right. So you're saying you got into it because of the ability to collect your rent more efficiently, better. And have you kind of seen that throughout COVID that you really haven't seen that much of a dip in occupancy and rent collection,
0: would you say? Uh, That's correct. We've been collecting about 95% of rent. Okay. Wow.
1: And so the property management, what made you decide to do in-house property management? Was it because you had so many units and could afford to do so? Why did you avoid the fee-based route that so many take?
0: We chose to do that simply because we needed a way to pay for ourselves doing this. It was just a way that it kind of organically grew over time where we had um, our ability to Pay for what we were doing, and that was just the mindset of we had to bootstrap everything. So, even this idea of hiring a third party property management firm was totally new for us.
1: Gotcha, gotcha, that makes sense. Well, the main um thrust of the show, Matt, is talking about kind of multifamily at a high level, but taking somebody like, for example, myself who's in the single family flipping wholesaling realm and how to get from point A to point B to get kind of where you're at. I know it's a tall task, but um, I want to follow kind of what does a multifamily deal look like from beginning to end, you know, pre-acquisition, offer accepted, under contract to post-close. What does that look like at a high level?
0: Sure. So I tell people it's an incredibly messy process because um, you are constantly in this cycle of evaluating opportunities. Your best source of deals are going to be commercial brokers. Um, So it's finding an opportunity, it's underwriting it for the rent, validating your assumptions, Uh, you're going to build in due diligence to be able to understand how the property is operating. And then you are from there going to spend your time bringing together your equity money um, as a part of money, you're investing money you may take in from other investors working with your lender to have them partner alongside you. Um, And then to work with the appraiser all the way up through closing, which typically takes about 60 to 90 days.
1: Okay. Yeah. That's a good overview. So the first step would be find that commercial broker in your opinion. So what differentiates a broker from just a normal real estate agent and how do you build that relationship?
0: Sure. So a, a broker um, in multifamily is going to be different than a, a typical real estate agent um, and where you have like buyer side, sell side. Um, there's not really buyer's brokerage in multifamily real estate, um, you have people who represent the seller. It, it does happen, but um, what you're out there doing is trying to prove yourself a viable buyer uh, to a broker um, who's representing a seller t- because what they're going to do is champion you and your offer to the seller as something that can close. It's not like a, a you know when I put a single family home on the market on the MLS and people are saying, come on, come all on the offers. It's No, I, I need to underwrite these uh, to be able to um, show that I have an offer here uh, that can close. It doesn't do um, a seller any good to have a top line offer that don't close. And this is an incredibly complex process. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: So then let's say you find that commercial broker who's advocating for you, who's on your side, and then you, you get that deal under contract. What does the under contract period look like compared to just your residential single family
0: It's going to be longer and everything's negotiable, but you will have approximately um, anywhere from 60 to 90 days on the full escrow period. And that's going to include both your inspection period, as well as your financing contingency.
1: Okay. And I, I probably skipped a step because a lot of due diligence goes into the, before the offer is made. So how many hours are you spending? How many minutes are you spending looking at a particular deal before you come up with your
0: offer? You know, it's going to be quite a bit. I, I would say that you're going to spend, you know, uh, upwards of three to four weeks on that, um, especially if it's a new market for you. Um, but we spend a lot of time trying to underwrite opportunities that come to market, talking with property managers, talking with brokers, talking with owners about what's happening in the market so that we can. Um, make an offer faster, while at the same time, making sure that we achieve um, what's necessary for our investors in terms of due diligence to ensure that we've been conservative in our underwriting.
1: Sure. Yeah. And underwriting, again, is just the process of evaluating the deal. Is there any more to underwriting there?
0: Well, yeah, but that's a pretty exhaustive process. You're looking at everything. This is a a business where you want to be able to find support for your top line rents all the way through your expenses.
1: Sure. So are you providing that documentation like to the bank as they ask for it? Or what does that look like?
0: Well, that's going to come up. But you're also doing it for yourself to understand the deal, to do sure. it for your investors. Um, and then, yes, you're going to provide all those to the appraiser um, as well as to even get a term sheet from a lender.
1: Sure. And, and so after, the, um, after you're under contract, what is the biggest pitfalls that could come up while you're under contract?
0: Uh, you know, there's a lot that could come up there. I think what most people get in trouble with is when they didn't do their underwriting up front to be conservative, specifically looking at hard costs like insurance and taxes, just assuming that the property is going to operate as it, as it has over the last 12 months. Um, So uh, it's making sure that you've got actual quotes to go off of for what the property needs to have done for renovations, what you want your, uh, what your taxes and insurance will look like. And then you've got solid rent comps.
1: Now, who is doing all of these tasks? Is it you as the general partner, which is basically the, the person who's active? Is it the sponsor? Like who, who's doing those duties?
0: so that's you and then obviously as you build out a business there there can be other people who come alongside to support you but yes that's a key function of the general partner
1: okay and do you mainly act as a general partner in your deals or do you limited partnerships
0: so i've invested as a limited partner Uh but yes i'm most often the general partner
1: okay can you dive into what a general partner is um i I just touch on, you know, it's the more active investor. And what's a sponsor? Because I think a lot of those terms are just thrown around and not a lot of people understand those.
0: So so a general partner is the partner that has brought together the deal. And there can be any number of ways that you can serve as a general partner. Um, you're going to touch every aspect of the deal. But as a general partner, you are finding the deal, doing the underwriting, raising the money, signing on the debt, and then monitoring the performance of the asset. Um, a sponsor is most typically associated with somebody who comes in to satisfy the lender requirements. So you are coming as um, somebody with the balance sheet, the liquidity or the net worth to meet their requirements that they have for issuing that loan.
1: Okay, perfect. Yeah, thanks for explaining that. Um, And then post close after you own the property. What are you doing in terms of renovation, increasing rents?
0: So that's, uh, again, uh, something that's very dependent on the deal. So you may have a property where your business plan is to renovate so you can increase rents. Maybe you're adding value by putting on a better expense structure, by adding better debt, by, by recapitalizing the property with new equity money um, that enables you uh, to add value here. So value added is a very broad sense. But what's clear is that real estate just doesn't go up and to the right on its own. There's, in multifamily, there's a business plan to be executed.
1: Right. Yeah, so I think what we've just discussed over the last, you know, five to seven minutes is a pretty good overview of multifamily. Do you have anything to add for a, a beginner listening to this?
0: No, I I think you've asked some great questions.
1: Okay, perfect. So what are some traits of a successful multifamily investor? You know, it's one thing to have head knowledge, but what are the traits? And I'm talking specifically for the person who's active in it right they need to have some traits they need to be likable and good at doing their due diligence what are those traits
0: so they need to be someone who's exceptionally curious so people who are willing to ask questions to talk to others who are involved uh, and operate in this space and then they also need um to be somebody who wants to validate assumptions um this is easy to get caught up in um just the excitement of opportunities or the belief that all things in real estate are great, but it's individuals who are curious, always willing to ask questions and then who want to validate those assumptions.
1: Very good. Yeah. And so I'm kind of going to switch gears on you because I've always wondered this, what makes a good partnership with others because multifamily is a big on Working together, right? You can flip a single family house by yourself and not have to really rely on anybody else. But multifamily, it's it's a team effort. So what are traits that one should be looking for in partners, whether they're funding the deal, uh, working alongside actively with them? What are those traits?
0: So one of my favorite ways to talk about this is I love to ask people who've been married for 50 plus years, what's your secret? And it's always astounding to me how simple it is. We communicate. We try to anticipate the other person's needs. We're honest. The same things apply to partnerships. There's no secret sauce here. Um, I've been blessed to find partners along the way because we communicate effectively, because we keep each other's best interest in mind. We try to make sure that we're equally yoked uh, in the work. And that has been what's allowed our partnerships to flourish.
1: Mm -hmm. And you obviously back that up with like the legal side of things. You want to make sure people have their place and their duties outlined beforehand, right? You don't just want to get into something willy nilly, right?
0: Correct. Correct. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So also, I found out just while you know, looking into your background and, and your professional career that you like to invest first in people then data. So I know that for example, when you're going into a new market, you try to find a relationship there and then you build the team. So you're, I mean, you are concerned with like, how high is the population going or are there jobs? Is there crime? But you primarily focus on the people. Why is that? And why is it so critical to your success so far?
0: So we have been, um, I think, blessed because of the relationships. This is a relationship-driven business. They open up opportunities, they open up other relationships, they open up other sources of knowledge for you. And so it is your ability to uh, communicate effectively what you do, uh, what you need, that's going to determine your ability and, and then provide value. I, I think that's uh been a key catalyst in our success. And that is to go find really smart people and then provide value to those relationships. So we hear um, then, okay, we've got exciting opportunities in separate markets. We do our own due diligence, but how can we build out relationships with the right property managers, the right lenders, the right attorneys to help us grow? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. So what does that conversation look like? I mean, For all they know, you're just a tire kicker coming into a new market. So how do you make sure you don't waste their time and you show that you are legitimate?
0: Being willing to get on a plane and fly down to a market certainly says a lot. Um, And then also we've been lucky that our track record has started to speak for itself as we can point to our past accomplishments that's motivated others to work with us.
1: Yeah, it's good to build up a history of that for sure. So um, I know you also invest for impact and not necessarily... Wealth. Can you explain what impact investing is and why you are not so concerned with the the wealth aspect and making as much money as possible?
0: You know, I I can't talk about this without talking in terms of my faith, but I do believe money is neither good nor bad in scripture. Money is simply a tool. Um, So I, I believe in financial freedom for my family so that I can lead and steward uh, my family's resources. Uh, But then it is a tool um, to use within the kingdom. And so money is how that we can make a positive difference in the world. Um, What I've always prayed for the protection in my own heart and and for the heart of my partners. And I I think this is the attitude to adopt. It is the love of money, which we are told um, is evil. Money itself, again, is neither good nor bad. And God wants things to grow and prosper and flourish and to make an impact in this world. But it is the love of money above all else that we have to guard our hearts against.
1: Yeah, that's a really good reminder. You know, and I appreciate you bringing up your faith. That's it's very important to always be considering that I'm a fellow believer myself. So I definitely take that to heart and want to, you know, constantly check myself to make sure I am investing for the right reasons and not going overboard in in a certain area. So that's important. Yeah. So Matt, what are your best practices around goal setting? Because in this industry, you got to have some pretty lofty goals to get where you're at. So what do you do around goal setting that works?
0: You know, I, I do believe in what you're saying. I'm not somebody, I I don't like write down distinct goals at the beginning of every year and then monitor my performance, but I'll go back to the relationships you've, see a lot in your life that the quality of your life is going to depend upon the people that you surround yourself with and who you allow yourself to be exposed to. And the challenges I've made to myself have been all from the people that I've exposed myself to.
1: Mm -hmm. What are you doing nowadays to kind of get yourself out there? Obviously podcasts like this help. What are you doing right now to that you found that is one of the best ways to build those relationships kind of virtually because you can't be in a hundred
0: places at one time, right? Sure. So I just make it a an everyday effort to be able to sit down and have face-to-face meetings with people who I believe I can bring value to and likewise can bring value to our company. Um, and so that's like an honest effort. My wife calls it professional dating because it's always, I, I have I caught up with this person in a while. So I, I've built a business based around face-to-face interactions.
1: Mm, yeah. That's good. That's really good. So, I want to kind of wrap up our show by talking about um, the triple threat. This is the same three questions we ask each guest. And the first one is what is the app that has been the biggest game changer in your business?
0: You know, I would say it's been um, understanding. I can't, don't think it's an app, but the technology for being able to understand financials has dramatically improved. Um, So we use Buildium. We have um, property management partners who use Resmin. Those types of financials that help you understand the performance of the business, the value in real estate is the land. Everything else is how the business is being run, um, I think has been most transformative for us.
1: Okay, so I've heard that Buildium is property management, right? Mm -hmm. Does it have built-in like analytics and key performance indicators in there?
0: It does not. No. Okay.
1: So how are you kind of tracking like your financials? Do you use QuickBooks or like Excel?
0: Well, building will track your financials, but in terms of your own key performance indicators, those are things that you have to come up with on your own.
1: Sure. Yeah. And what are kind of some good key performance indicators that a multifamily investor should be keeping top of mind?
0: You have to be able to manage to a budget. So, it is what is your budget for the property? And there's no one size fits all budget, but it's the fact that you have a budget and that you can manage for cash flow. Yeah. So,
1: number two is what has been the biggest failure in the last year and why do you think that happened?
0: Biggest failure has been being so narrowly focused on what I do and who I do it with that it's almost caused me to miss opportunities from the idea that, hey, I can only invest in the Twin Cities. There's no other markets. No, there's wonderful markets. And I I was lucky to have partners along the way who challenged those assumptions.
1: So now you're investing, obviously, nationwide. What what other markets are you in right now?
0: Uh, We do a lot in the Mid-South, specifically Memphis and Little Rock.
1: Okay. Yeah. Not too far from my hometown. Um, The third one is, our podcast is all about helping others achieve freedom with real estate investing, whether that's financial, lifestyle, or otherwise. So what does freedom mean to you?
0: I think it's financial freedom the idea that um i work and go and and find resources because i I find enjoyment for doing so and i provide value to others and how i do it but it is um, not being absolutely dependent um, on an income stream to be able to provide for and love my family
1: yeah and that definitely ties back into the impact uh, piece that you talked about earlier so um in conclusion, like, where can listeners get a hold of you? What do you want? I mean, I guess, what are you kind of going for right now? Like, how can people uh, give back to you?
0: Would love to connect with them on LinkedIn, Matt Bronner, and they can find me online.
1: Okay, Matt Bronner, that's easy enough on LinkedIn. Great. Well, Matt, it was an absolute pleasure having you on the show, and for sharing your knowledge with listeners. I think this was a, a short but concise and it packs a punch episode. So, thank you again.
0: Thanks so much, Dalen. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Investing for Freedom podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a review and tune in next week for the next episode.